0: This episode contains descriptions of body horror, gore, and references to domestic violence. Listener discretion is advised, especially for listeners under 13. The following is an excerpt from Arthur Machen's The Inmost Light. In an upper window of that house, I had seen for some short fraction of a second a face. It was the face of a woman, and yet it was not human. You and I have heard in our time, as we sat in our seats in church in sober English fashion, of a lust that cannot be satiated and of a fire that is unquenchable, but few of us have any notion what these words mean. I hope you never may, for as I saw that face at the window, with the blue sky above me and the warm air playing in gusts about me, I knew, I had looked into another world, looked through the window of a commonplace brand new house, and seen hell open before me. Hi everyone, I'm Alastair Murdon and this is Haunted Places Ghost Stories, a Spotify original from Parcast. Ghost stories have arisen from every century and every corner of the world, from the streets of Victorian Whitechapel to the temples of Japan. Whether seated around the campfire or curled up with a pair of headphones, we return to them time and again to feel our skin crawl and our hearts race. Episodes of ghost stories were inspired by classic short stories from some of history's greatest authors. The following version is our own unique take. It may feel familiar in some ways, and different in others. We hope you enjoy it. You can find episodes of Ghost Stories and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. Written by Welsh author Arthur Machen in 1894, the inmost light goes hand in hand with his most famous and most controversial novella, The Great God Pan. Both stories are the epitome of Britain's decadent movement, a literary tradition that freed literature from conventional morals and indulged in pagan themes. Machen played a major role in shaping this movement alongside his friend, celebrated queer writer Oscar Wilde. But Machen's contribution is particularly unique. By combining the pulp of Robert Louis Stevenson with his interest in the occult, Machin created a subgenre called decadent horror. After Oscar Wilde was sent to prison for indecency in 1895, the decadence movement began to fade, and Machin's career with it. Yet to this day, The Inmost Light and The Great God Pan remain two of the most influential examples of this brand of horror. Something that would be taken up later by Bram Stoker, H.P. Lovecraft, and even Stephen King. I will tell this story as Mr. Dyson, a Welshman turned Londoner. When Dyson's good friend Mrs. Black goes missing, he is forced into the role of detective. But the twisted things he discovers can't be understood with simple forensics. They are perhaps only explained by the devil himself. Coming up, a strange disappearance. The National Women's Soccer League kicks off March 16th on ION. Our
1: Williams! It's a new Saturday night destination featuring the best players in the world. She takes a shot, she scores! See the full schedule and find where to watch at IONNWSL.com. Hello, lover of things to go bump in the night. This is Dan Cummins. And I'm Lindsay Cummins. And we co-host the paranormal horror podcast, Scared to Death. Are shadow people real? What about demonic possessions? Poltergeist activity? Do you believe in ghosts? Malevolent entities? Are aliens real? Could you be abducted? We don't know, but what we do know is that we have over 230 episodes of stories on our podcast, Scared to Death, exploring all of the possibilities. Each week, we share several supposedly true stories that have been gathered from around the world and submissions from our own fans of allegedly true tales. Curious about the paranormal? Just like a spooky story? Do you need more fear to fuel you through your long work days? Come join us! New episodes of Scared to Death are released every Tuesday night Listen wherever you get your podcasts. We hope you end up scared to death.
0: For a long while, there was nothing better than a trip to Roundwood Park with my dear friend Agnes. She'd sit under the trees, often in a velvet dress, purple so she could match the flowers. I'd take out my sketchbook and draw studies of little details her ears, her hands. We chatted and joked. It was a welcome break from the monotony of scholarly life. We'd known each other since we were playmates as children. She was a fearsome girl with a smile that lit up the room. She did the best pirate impression, and she always crossed her fingers behind her back, never intending to do exactly what you asked. We lost touch for a period of adulthood, but some 15 years later, I discovered that she was living in Halsden, not far from me. She was Agnes Black now, married to a doctor, We caught up so quickly that it was as though we'd never spent a day apart we laughed reminisced and around lunch we often went on an afternoon stroll agnes didn't often speak about her husband dr black but when she did she often talked about how busy he was with his work she joked that were it not for their nightly walk she might think she'd married a ghost i cherished our strolls through the neighborhood I told her about my students, their quirks and habits, and often lamented their lack of passion. Within a month, she knew them all so well she could do impressions of each pupil. But it was her ability to understand them, despite my own complaints, that made me grow more understanding of them myself. Yet one day, when I went to her house for our usual jaunt, the butler told me she was no longer in residence. I stood at the door bewildered for a moment, unsure of what he meant. I asked if the Black family had moved away. If they had, Agnes surely would have told me. The butler shook his head, hesitating. Then he said that Dr. Black was still in residence. I was frustrated and confused. Where is Mrs. Black? I asked him curtly. The butler looked at me like I was a very great fool. Like I said, Mrs. Black is no longer in residence. I didn't know what to think. It made no sense for Agnes to leave without a word unless I had unknowingly offended her. I walked to a shop across from their house where I knew Agnes frequented and asked if they knew anything about her sudden departure. According to the man behind the counter, Mrs. Black had been out walking with her husband the night before. Nothing had been amiss. After that day, I went back to the house several times and continued to knock but after a few visits, the butler refused to open the door at all. So I asked Agnes' neighbors. They told me that Dr. Black still lived in his house, but he no longer went for walks. As the weeks began to drag on, I grew desperate. I was a frequent customer at the shop across the street. I would watch the house as subtly as I could, but the curtains were drawn day and night. There was never anything to see. I spent many nights staring into the fire, trying to think of Agnes's possible whereabouts. When one night, I remembered that i kept a box of all of our correspondence ever since we were small. I asked for my valet to bring it, and that night, I read every letter and postcard we had exchanged. Soon, I began to notice a pattern. There was something off about her husband. In one letter, she wrote, My dear doctor had a peculiar vision of the world when we first met but he claims I have cured him of that. In my response, I asked what she meant, but she never answered. Another letter read, I am grateful that I fell in love with him before I knew what kind of doctor he was. Yet she didn't explain what kind. I thought more of her husband. I did not know the man. Agnes wasn't keen to introduce him. She always said her husband had such limited free time and she wanted to keep it all for herself. I couldn't help but think that Dr. Black was hiding something, and that it had to do with Agnes's disappearance, but I didn't know what. And when winter came, there was still no sign of Agnes. I spent many nights outside her house despite the bitter cold. I peered through every window, hoping that something would lead me to an answer, but the curtains stayed shut and the house was always still. It might as well have been a tomb. One night, I stayed on a park bench opposite the house until first light. I saw nothing. Tears stung my eyes. I gazed down in defeat. I did not want to look any longer. I did not want to glance at Agnes' bedroom window and see another blank pane. But when I lifted my head again, my prayers were answered. The curtains were open and there was someone standing in the window. She was lit from behind, so it was hard to see in shadow but what i could see was agnes's soft yellow hair her roundness and her dress purple and velvet but the woman in the window wasn't agnes from the side i could see that her skin was sallow stretched and clammy her cheeks were so unnaturally high she looked canine it was agnes's face but as if nature had grabbed her skull and stretched it the thing turned There were flames in her eyes. I immediately fainted. It was the shopkeeper who found me. I didn't dare tell him what I saw. I was certain I would be thrown into Lambeth Asylum. Luckily, he had remembered me and dismissed my fall as a sign of my distress over my missing friend. He told me that grief had overwhelmed stronger men than myself in the past, that I should not be ashamed of what it had wrought in my body. I hoped that he was right. But the image I'd seen in the window was branded into my mind, almost as if it had all been very, very real. I went home that night and drew this creature as best as I could. I wanted to convince myself that the vision had only been a trick of the low light. I did it again and again, struggling to nail down the shape of the flames, the impossibly angular shape of her cheeks. Every time I drew the monster, it grew more frightening, yet I could not stop. I contracted a fever for several days and laid in bed. Still, all I could see was her image. I do not remember which doctor attended me, only that in the haze of illness I continued to yell for Agnes and no answer returned to my ears. When I finally woke, I felt silly and ugly and sad. I knew I would go mad if I continued this way. I asked for my valet to give me the stack of papers I'd missed. I thought reading about the world's events would distract me. But on page three, the headline read, Harlesden Housewife Found Dead in Home. The article was about Agnes. I swear my heart stopped beating. I read the article in one small, breathless eternity. The details were more lurid than helpful, mentioning an unlocked back door and signs of a struggle. But one, Gave me pause. My valet had given me the newspapers in chronological order. This edition, the one reporting her death, was from the morning of the day when I'd become ill. Agnes's corpse had been found the night before that, which meant that when I had seen her in the window, she was already dead. Coming up, Dyson examines a strange corpse. Hi there, it's
1: Carter from ParCast. If you haven't had a chance to check out the riveting true crime series Solved Murders, there's no better time to tune in. Throughout the month of August, Solved Murders is featuring four celebrations that took a turn for the deadly in a special series we're calling Party Fowls. From a murder in the New York nightclub scene and the house party gone horribly wrong, to a terrifying evening at the Tate residence and a sex party with sinister results, go deeper inside four affairs remembered for all the wrong reasons. And if you like what you hear with party fouls and want to uncover more of history's most captivating cases, be sure to follow Solved Murders on Spotify. There you'll find a new episode released every Wednesday. Solved Murders is a Spotify original from ParCast. Listen free only on Spotify.
0: Now, back to the story. A week later, the front page of the Illustrated London News read, No progress in case of Halsden Housewife. I had spent that last week in a kind of waking nightmare. Agnes, my dearest friend, was dead. But what's worse, I had seen her alive after her death. The thought had sent me in a terrible spiral for days. I thought what I had seen in her clothes was a monster, but after the article, I began to think I had seen her ghost. Yet if it was her ghost, it wasn't what I imagined a spirit to look like. There had been no gauzy white or mournful looks, there had only been horror. I could not stand the thought of Agnes languishing like that for all of eternity. The news reported nothing helpful about her case, nothing but the fact her body had been held at the medical examiner's office. Luckily, a colleague at my university was well acquainted with the London examiner. I asked if I could ask some questions about Agnes's corpse, but it turned out they could do me one better. They were still holding her body there for further investigation. He told me there was no guarantee. But perhaps if I explained myself, the examiner would permit me to see her. It seemed unlikely, but I quickly agreed. I had no training in medicine or science, and my knowledge of criminal investigation didn't go beyond a love for detective fiction. I did not entirely know why I so desperately needed to see her laid out, still and cold, or what I hoped to discover. Perhaps I needed to know that she was truly gone, and that she hadn't returned. The next day, the medical examiner welcomed me into his office and offered me a seat. He was a stolid sort. The way he looked at me made me feel like I was under his scalpel. I steadied my nerves and attempted to explain. Please, she is my dearest friend. I am sure she has already been identified, but might another person verify? The medical examiner stared at me blankly. I can't allow strangers in the laboratory. Mrs. Black was already identified by her husband, If you have any doubts please take it up with him i wish i could but i didn't know dr black well enough to know if he was trustworthy or even if he loved my friend i couldn't go to him with my concerns my only option was to tell some semblance of the truth i took a deep breath i have seen something strange in their house agnes standing living after she was supposedly already dead. Is it possible this corpse is an imposter? An imposter? He said, surprised. Something about his reaction made me think he understood. But then he composed himself and said, As far as I can ascertain, it is Mrs. Black. At least, her body. I grew suspicious. There was clearly something about the situation the examiner wasn't revealing. I tried a different approach. Do you know what killed her? The article I read was frustratingly vague on the subject. He stared at me for a long while, as if trying to decide how much he could say. After some time, I reminded him that Agnes was a dear friend. He sighed and said, In my personal opinion, the cause of death and the person responsible are easy to deduce. There are other questions that might be best left unanswered. I sat on edge. I knew I was close to the truth. Please, what answers can you give me? The examiner looked down at his notes, rubbing his forehead. It seemed I had cracked him. Mrs. Black is dead, and I hesitate to say, but I suspect that Dr. Black killed her. But he had good reason to do so. All of the air left my body. How could Dr. Black have had reason to kill Agnes? She'd sooner hurt herself than any animal, including her husband. I demanded an explanation. He sighed. I understand this may be difficult to grasp. I'm struggling with it myself. What I know is this she was murdered. The contusions on her skull made that clear. But the reason why Mrs. Black was killed may have something to do with her brain. I protested. There had been no sign that Agnes had been mentally unwell. The examiner stood up from his desk. I will let you take a look before her body is sent away. Perhaps he will answer your questions better than I can. I followed him down a long hallway and to a small, cold room. What I presumed to be Agnes's body laid under a sheet, her grey feet poked out from underneath. The examiner beckoned me forward. We've been allowed a little more observation before we inter the body. Dr. Black, surprisingly, has been very patient. I stared at him, bewildered. Agnes was dead, and her cause of death was already determined. The examiner has said so himself. What was there to observe? He looked at me gravely. Take a deep breath, he said. Then... He pulled the sheet off Agnes's corpse. I gasped. The top of her head had a seam etched into her flesh, but her face was cut away to create a small cavity. My vision began to narrow and I steadied myself to stop from fainting. I had been foolish to expect some kind of closure. This was just as horrifying as seeing her in the window. It was Agnes. I could tell by her hands, her eyes, That question was answered, but there was still the matter of the second. What had Dr. Black done to her? I heard his voice next to my ear. You can lift the upper half of her skull. I'd like you to see what we found. I wanted to tell him that this was highly irregular and unprofessional and disrespectful to the dead. But then I risked being thrown out without answers, never understanding what had happened to my friend. So I nodded as firmly as I could. The seam in her head went behind her ears and extended to either side of her neck. I would be able to open her like a Russian doll. The examiner held out a pair of slippery-looking gloves. Rubber. All the rage in America. Your nails will thank me. I did my best to nod gratefully and donned the gloves. I edged my fingers into the groove beneath Agnes's ears and lifted up. What greeted me? is something that defies description. There was a small growth near where her head met her neck, but it was nothing like a brain. What was there was orange in color and pulsing. It moved as though it was still alive, but Agnes's body was cold and stiff, and there were symbols on the surface. The ink glowed. I wondered if they'd been written after the fact, but they looked so ingrained and not like any language I'd ever seen. Some part of me told me to jump back, to run from the room, and yet I felt a pull from the mass itself. I had to touch it. I brought my gloved hand towards the mass. As soon as I made contact, a thousand whispers entered my brain. The examiner pulled my hand away. My heart was racing. I felt as if I'd woken from a dream, one in which I'd been angry but no longer understood why. The examiner was watching me with avid interest, like my reaction was a new source of proof. One touch is enough. More. And you'll end up like my technician, who's staying overnight at Bedlam. He didn't like the gloves. It was clear that something was living inside of Agnes's skull, but it wasn't Agnes. Doctor. What is this? For the first time since I'd arrived, the examiner looked truly bewildered. I don't have any answers for you, dear boy. Only that whatever was, or is, living inside of her can't be described by anatomy or even reason. You can certainly consider this a murder, but it's my belief that Dr. Black had only intended on destroying this thing. However, how it got there, I cannot imagine. It seems impossible that the doctor would be able to implant it himself. Agnes had warned me. Her husband was no ordinary person. If anyone on this earth was capable of creating this situation, it was him. All I had to do was get him to admit it. Thanks again for tuning in to Haunted Places Ghost Stories. We will be back on Thursday with the conclusion of Arthur Machen's The Inmost Light. You can find more episodes of Ghost Stories and all other Spotify originals from Parcast free on Spotify. See you on the other side. Haunted Places Ghost Stories is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Nick Johnson, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Travis Clark. This episode of Haunted Places Ghost Stories was written by Lil DeRitter and Jennifer Roche, with writing assistance by Stacey Lee Nemec and Alex Garland. Fact-checking by Anya Bailey and research by Mickey Taylor. I'm Alastair Murdon.
1: Hi, listeners, it's Carter. Here's a quick reminder to check out the Solved Murders four-part special Party Fowls. Every Wednesday in August, take a closer look at four celebrations that ended in horrific fashion. Follow the Spotify original from ParCast, Solved Murders. Listen free only on Spotify.